0: Hi, I'm Caitlin. Welcome to Better Words.
1: Hi Michelle. Hey. It's been so long. It has been so long. <laughs> I hey everyone, we're back. <laughs> we're back
0: and better than ever. That's not true. That's just what people say, isn't it? We're back and so. better than ever. Yeah. We're back and better. New and, and improved. Than ever. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> not oh. new and improved. I know. I just walked into Michelle's land room and I'm like, just feels so crazy and then i felt immediately bad for saying that because you're literally moving internationally in like a couple of weeks yeah but
1: yeah look i've put i've not thought about it very much which is probably why i'm so stressed right now yeah um so yeah there's like random crap all around my house that i'm like i need to take that to lifeline or just it's just shit everywhere yep yeah Um, i feel like yeah
0: yeah there's just shit everywhere literally like Physically, mentally, in your in your brain, like, emotionally,
1: yeah, there's, yeah, there's shit, everywhere.
0: shit everywhere, yeah. Oh. Well, I got to be honest. I'm a little disappointed that I already feel so crazed because I've just you only had just ten. Came back for, I just to came work. back from ho- holidays and I had ten days off. Although maybe that's why you know, maybe I'm behind. I might feel better in mm. a couple of days, but I. Yes, I went to Carnarvon Gorge with my family. So for those who don't know, I'm probably, I should have checked this. It's about five hours west-ish of where we are in Rockhampton. So in the middle of Queensland, Mm. (laughs) somewhere. Um, But it was beautiful. We stayed at this big um, caravan park that was in the national park. And there was little spots where you could go see platypuses.
1: Oh, did you see any?
0: I did, <gasps> yes. cute. So, yeah. So everyone was, like, going to see them, like, in the morning and at sun, like, sunset, sunrise is sort mm-hmm. of, like, when the best chances are to see them. So we went, like, every day to look. And there were all these kangaroos and wallabies and everything just hopping around. Aww. And on our last day there, this kangaroo just came up and, like, was eating out of the bin, which was right next to the edge of
1: our... Okay, so that noise isn't going to stop because it's the little girl next door who has like a ride-on like car thing. car thing. Oh my god, yes, I've seen her on that car. It's oh, so cool. So guys, we're just going to have to put up with that because neither of us had time to stay any longer and no, do and wait for the noise to go. We're- also, make the most of Percy's barking in the background while you can because in 3 weeks you won't be hearing him in podcasts anymore when I'm overseas. So Yeah. This is Percy's... Unless, like, I go around to Jack's dad. <laughs>
0: That's weird. We're just-,
1: <laughs> just to let you guys feel like, you know, I'm still
0: here. Yeah. Um, anyway, so this kangaroo came up to, like, the edge of our little camp kitchen where my dad had, like, the camp cooker and everything and was eating out of the bin. And we were like, oh, my God. Okay, so then my dad was like, oh, look, and he got some food and he was like, here, do you want to eat this food? And he, like, dropped it on the ground. Aww. But then doing that, the kangaroo, like, turned around And then dad was like, oh, my God, kangaroos can't go backwards. So we had to, like, lead him through the camp to get away. And then he just decided he liked us or something. He kept coming back a bit. And my sister filmed the whole thing. It's like a seven-minute video. He just kept coming back around. And then and my brother actually patted the kangaroo because it just was, like, so... It was quite a little one Um, and... It was just, like, so tame. It was just chilling. It kept going up to Harry and he was like, I want to pat it. <gasps> I'm going to pat it and he like, <laughs> And he was like, I touched it. I've touched a kangaroo. Oh, my but goodness. But it was, yeah. So that happened on the last day. The rest of the holiday was a lot of reading, board games, rounds of cards, eating, pancakes, like, lots of chocolate. And one 20-something kilometre hike through the gorge to all the different... Things that you can see, so there's I'm like it's. It was a long day. Mm. I was very, very tired, but I'm impressed with myself too.
1: Twenty kilometers round trip.
0: Yep. So it's about ten k's out to like the edge, sort of, of the gorge where the cathedral cave is. It's called, and there's like some Aboriginal artwork there. And you can go a little bit further to where people can camp overnight, and they walk tend to walk back, but we didn't go that far. We went to there, and then walking back through. Like ten k's,
1: ten k's back to like the visitor center. My is... gosh, the dogs <laughs> are going crazy here tonight. We don't have time for this, everyone. Oh, I'm sorry, everyone. We, we don't have time. We're not professional, and we don't have time for any of this. <laughs> oh, okay. This is gonna stop us from getting three million downloads. What the mm, hell? I know. Oh, gosh. Anyway, so it was a long walk,
0: but you know, a nice holiday. Did mm. you have a nice
1: Easter? Yeah, it's been really busy um, because since we last spoke on this podcast, mm. I've released my other podcast, which is really so exciting. So exciting.
0: I will, sh- you know, I'm ashamed to admit on air that I haven't actually listened to it yet, but the second episode only came True out yesterday. Is not
1: really your thing. It's not yes. really my
0: thing, but you're my best friend, so I want to listen to it. But yeah, it's episodic. Yeah, yeah, but if anyone else and I'm sure plenty of you are because true crime is, like, so crazy popular, if you're into it, go listen to Predator.
1: Yeah, it's um, got some creepy eyes on the Mm. um, cover image. Yeah, she does have creepy eyes. Yeah, he's really crazy. That's the killer. Mm. Um, But it's basically the forgotten story of Queensland's first convicted serial killer. Um, And I feel very honoured to be telling this story. It's our hometown story. It happened when we were kids. Caitlin wasn't even here then, so I don't know why I'm saying we. Happened when I was a kid here. He died the year after I moved here. Yeah. Um, Basically, he's a piece of shit. But the reason why you should listen is because it's really about sharing, uh, I guess, the stories of victims who haven't really been remembered that well. And that's why it's so important for me Mm. to share this story, because I'm a huge believer in, um, I guess, not ignoring victims based on certain things and um I've written a little bit about like the tropes around not tropes but the 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 issues around um the way we yeah yeah the way we view the ideal victim and stuff like that um and basically that's what kind of happened here um and also once it was solved and the killer was in jail there was no real need to talk about it again i guess but um yeah not like some of these big you know unsolved years old cases like the golden state killer or something um no this is like very much solved it it didn't have any but the other thing i wanted to explore in this which if you do listen and you stick through right to the last episode What I'm really interested in questioning in this is how you can rebuild your life from trauma. So, and I'm ashamed to say I haven't read this book yet because I'm such a huge fan of Chat 10 Looks Three. But Lee Sales's book last year, Jack got me for my birthday, called uh, Any Ordinary Day. Mm -hmm. um, And that is about life after trauma. Um, I guess I am fascinated by that idea as well. So, I guess if you enjoyed that book, there's probably some questions that I'm going to raise at the end of this season as well. Season. End of this series um, in, in some of my interviews with the victims' families about how, they, how you can be a mother again when your child has been killed and, and things like that. So, yeah, it's been very emotional. It's been a lot of work. Um, Michelle absolutely. really has put blood, sweat, and tears yeah. into this thing. Oh well, no blood yet. Actually, I mean, no, there was because I was going to say I was going to say I'm sure there would have been blood somewhere. It's been months. There was because I cut my hand on my boss's files. They are like old, oh. you know, those old like you know the cardboard like not manila folders, but same material. Yeah. But it's just like a folder, and they used to be bound with like. You would do a hole punch on the paper and then put this metal thing in it and like put them on and then close oh, the yeah, clip. Yeah. Do you know what I, I mean? I think I know
0: what you mean. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, they're so old now. These are clippings that, like, so these are pieces of paper with pieces of the newspaper stuck on them. And then down the side, it says, like, court, 1998, or mm. police rounds, 1998. And it's just stuff that like our filing at work is abysmal for our historical stuff and this is stuff <laughs> he kept because he knew that he had stuff in it. Mm. So I've gone back through them, which has all the old articles because this is before digital and I spent a long time going through microfilm as well. Um, but, yes, one day I did cut my hand, like slice my, like, corner of my hand open on that, which was like a really bad paper cut but there was a bit of blood. You so go. I have that little reminder but it's um, – <laughs> Yeah, so it's you can actually wrong. say blood, blood sweat, tears. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think a few grey hairs too. <laughs> I mean, maybe. No, I literally found three. I'm going to blame them on that. Oh, no. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. 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 Okay. It's just that. So um, I'd be really honoured if you'd all listen. Um, i tried to do a proper radio voice for it. So a lot. Nothing like yeah. what we sound on this No, <laughs> nothing like this, I hope. Um, but I have tried to be a lot more serious. But then I hear myself and I'm like, oh, my. Lord, like I just—we oh. are our own worst critic. That's true, and also I'm a print journalist, so doing anything on audio, you don't have is very your, yeah. You don't have your broadcast voice no, ready I to don't, go. I don't have my I'm Phoebe Judge voice ready. <laughs> um, but yeah, it's been a very strange experience though, because I've got some really nice feedback on it,
0: mm.
1: and I just feel a bit detached from it. It's very odd, and I think it's. I don't know it's just because it's like been such a big thing and it's been my life for ages that yeah then um, I don't know it's very hard to explain and I'm still trying to come to terms with it emotionally (laughs) and it's not even like as big as a book or anything so I can't even imagine what that's like yeah I know
0: but it all Makes wouldn't have happened. about the emotional journey that goes with creating things like this. Hey? Yeah.
1: It all wouldn't have happened without either Al, my producer, mm. and pole partner, too, because we go to pole class together. He got me into pole, which is exciting. Yeah. Um, so he did all the sound production for it's kind of basically just us against the world on this one we had to fight for a lot of um time to work on it and stuff like that so he's done an yeah. amazing job considering I went to him and was like hey do you reckon that we could do this thing <laughs> um maybe yeah. help Please. yeah I was like so I'm not very good at audio um do you think you could help yeah. <laughs> um and obviously all the people who've chosen to be interviewed and yeah, a couple of other people as well. Oh, Astrid from The Garrett, who is very, very awesome. And I'm sure that a lot of our listeners already listen to The Garrett. If they like hearing us ramble, I'm sure you'd like to hear more intelligent people <laughs> having an actual intelligent discussion. Um, yeah, so she was really wonderful. Anyway, so I've actually also read a lot of books and watched a lot of things since then, but mm. I can't really remember much of it. A lot of it actually, a lot of the things I read on my time off were for the podcast so yeah I feel like too. it's best not to talk about it because we're gonna I know. yeah
0: I thought of that when I was like oh what am I going to talk about in the intro and I was like oh I read that and I was like oh but we're having the author on yeah so, so might, we want
1: to we'll, we'll save it. some of those mm. chats
0: for when we are joined by those wonderful authors um mm. but I did finally get around to reading Rocky Road which is the story about the Daryl Lee family yeah and business and oh my god it was so good Mm. it was I mean it's basic it's almost written like a family drama fiction that's so cool and it's it was so oh my god I kept putting it down and being like saying to my whole family like oh my god did you know Daryl Lee invented twisties oh my god
1: (laughs) this woman is horrible like like, did you know my dad used to have a Daryl Lee chocolate shop no oh my god your dad has had a thousand lives i know i know that was back in the, like, the 80s or something wow I don't
0: know. that's so cool because mm. well, they were every i was they like were. reading the numbers and they were everywhere mm-hmm. and then because i guess all i've ever really known of daryl lee is like the christmas puddings that are made of nougat and things like oh. that, that they're like my dad and his siblings, mm-hmm. they're like, oh, they're
1: up there. That was like a prize Christmas present. I love their Rocky Road. Like, yeah. Like, seriously love it. Mm. It's the best. Yeah. I don't, there's so no good. other one that I like.
0: The mint, see, like, what are they called? Mint BB balls? Oh, yeah, balls? they're oh, cute. Yeah, yep. love them. Yep. So, yeah, but, like, that sort of thing. But I guess in my lifetime of what I can remember, mainly Daryl Lee was, has, is sold in, like, News agencies and stuff like just little pop up shops.
1: Yeah, well, they used to have stores in other
0: shops. They haven't in the and there were no stores here. There were no stores here, definitely. Mm -hmm. And in the time I can remember, they may have been. Well, they were gonna
1: go. They were going to like go broke. They were going broke. But then the reason, the way they saved the company is by going from shops to news agent servos. Yeah, um, were worse. Like it was really interesting to see they changed their channels to get more of the market yeah I think it was that's really so inter- cool
0: it was but it was really interesting though because reading this whole book you know like all the things I kept saying about like you know oh in the s- 60s or something they made twisties and were trying to push them in the UK and like it wasn't successful and twisties were never successful internationally think, like the chips yeah twisties oh. the chips so Daryl Lee made up but like they were never successful internationally until like three companies later whatever they sort of got sold around
1: are twisties a, a thing internationally yeah now yeah oh are they i thought I, I thought they were just like australian yeah i don't know i, don't know. I, really, I think
0: yeah at least i don't know don't quote me on i will any report of this. back yeah <laughs> <laughs> um but yeah things like that and i kept reading it and you know my family kept asking me they're like when did they sell the company and i'm like i have no idea like 2012 the end of the book yeah. is like 2012.
1: Yeah, because and that's, that's when, when they were going
0: broke. Yeah, they mm. were going yeah broke again. They kind mm. of saved themselves a couple of times, but yeah, they sold the company. So it was family owned from like the 30s until 2012. Isn't is that amazing? Amazing. It's amazing? It's amazing that it lasted that, it's that long. Not family owned
1: anymore. But I, I guess know. That's but but that's what world. that was.
0: What the really interesting thing of the book? I think one of the taglines written on the back was like, you know, the story of the chocoholic clan or whatever who built the empire and then ultimately destroyed it. Oh. Because it was like built on all their family values and everything. And then as their family continued to grow and expand and new generations were starting to be in the business and everything like that, ultimately their family relationships is what destroyed it. Mm. That's amazing. It's really interesting. But a lot of... Um, One thing that was referenced a lot in the book, well, a bit in the book, um, was an episode of an ABC show they did. I think it was called Dynasties that -hmm. they did in the early 2000s. And I'm like, I need to look this up because now I'm, like, so interested in their whole story.
1: Yeah, that's really cool.
0: Yeah, I think you'd probably
1: like it, but you probably will never, ever have time to to read it. (laughs) Nah, I'm not going to add it to my list of enormous things. Unless yeah. it's an audio book. Maybe. Actually. But I was like, family drama, tick. Chocolate, <laughs> tick. Like, <laughs> so I've read like actually quite a few books, which I'm impressed with considering the amount of work I've been doing. But something that I'm really enjoying that I'd like to talk about just briefly is that I'm listening to the audiobook of Wondersmith by Jessica Townsend. It's the second in the Nevermore series. Oh yes, I haven't the, read any of those oh, yet. So good. And the audio is just really good. Like it has little bits of music at the end of the chapter. Oh, a little and, bit magical. Yeah, and Aww. the narration is really, really good. Uh, and you know I love an audio book. Yeah. I oh, love an audio book. So my next audio like treat for myself that I'm actually gonna fully pay attention to because that's the other thing. Sometimes I borrow audio books from the library and I just kind of I don't mind if I miss a few things it's just one of those things where I'm like a bit curious about a book and I just don't mind if I miss a bit and maybe that makes me a bad reader I don't care and then there are ones that I download from Audible with my you know credits that I want to pay full attention to so the next one after Wondersmith is Chase Darkness with me by Billy Jensen who does a podcast with Jack Vanek from The yes. Lady Gang and also finished Michelle McNamara's book so I'm excited to that's an audio only like it's written for
0: oh yeah. cool
1: yeah so kind of like a book podcast sort of thing yeah yeah, yeah so that's I'm cool I'm excited to um excited to keep listening to that and I feel like given the amount of packing I've got to do audio books are definitely oh yeah bonus. definitely yeah. Yay. <laughs> yeah, oh, that's good. Yeah. So I think we should probably end it there. Yeah. And yeah, enjoy. <laughs> Our guest this week has used social media to transform her life. She went from working in England's National Health Service to building an online following of more than 216,000 people. Aside from a very beautiful Instagram feed, our guest also discusses how business and art intersect on the podcasts Letters from a Hopeful Creative and Hashtag Authentic. She has also just released her debut book of the same name. We are so very pleased to welcome you to Better Words, Sarah Tasker.
2: Thank you so much for having me.
1: It really is our pleasure. Yes, Michelle is completely (laughs) freaking out. So so I guess before we actually get into talking about things, we've decided that we want to focus on the book, Hashtag Authentic, because um, there's a lot of other places people can go and find different elements of your story online and we will put them in our show notes as well. Um, but before we kind of get into that, do you mind giving us a little bit of an overview of, you know, of how you created me and Aula and how you got to the point where you are today?
2: Sure. So it was pretty much by accident. Um, <laughs> I was, <laughs> as all the best things in life are, huh, right? So, yeah. uh, as you said, I was working for the NHS. I was working in speech therapy, and then I fell pregnant and was just about to have this baby. Started my maternity leave, and over here you get about nine months of maternity leave. So, um, I, I was all this change was happening around me, and all these momentous things that were about to happen. So I started a little Instagram account where I was just posting a photo a day to try and kind of slow down time a little bit and hold on to it, and give myself a creative outlet, and previously I'd taken pictures and things but I just didn't have the energy to be looking out looking around my DSLR so I decided it was just going to be iPhone photography one photo a day and I started that in the January and I set myself this little New Year's resolution I was going to try and get a thousand followers by April my daughter had been born and I had something like 35,000 followers I was being featured by Instagram it was just snowballing so from there I then launched a blog because I had lots of words more words than pictures really and and needed somewhere to put them all Uh, and then after that it kind of evolved into teaching other people how I use Instagram which then turned into the classes that I run which then turned into kind of various other avenues that my business now has and eventually the book as well
0: Wow, that's a very short <laughs> summary of a pretty cool story, I think. <laughs>
2: <laughs> yeah, it was a it's been a whirlwind kind of 5 or 6 years. Um <laughs> a lot of personal growth, a lot of change, but great change.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think I remember um a recent, or maybe not that recent caption of yours where you were talking about the fact that you grew up in a in a very different sort of circumstance as well and that this this must have seemed like a total a total
2: dream it still does it still feels like a complete dream I mean I was someone who growing up we didn't have very much money like my memory of money is always my mom panicking about it working it out on the back of an envelope and now I have a multiple six-figure business and I employ my husband like we have a, a really comfortable life which you know literally when Ola was born there was a day when Um, I got letters saying bailiffs were coming to collect on debt so I've been kind of on both ends of the spectrum and I think that makes me so so grateful for everything I have been able to build and I kind of especially because I've been able to build it around problems with my health I just feel so fortunate and so passionate about helping other people get to this place too. not necessarily financially because I don't think six figures is everything and I don't think that should be everybody's dream but to get to a place where you feel safe and comfortable and you're able to build a a life for yourself that feels fulfilling. Absolutely. yeah. That's just
0: wonderful. That's just what we all want. Yeah. Yeah,
2: exactly. And a lot of the conventional advice and the stuff you're taught in school and the careers guidance and everything else doesn't get you there. It takes you on the wrong path in the complete wrong direction. And I was really fortunate that I stumbled across my right path again by accident But I'm really passionate about trying to get the message out for people that, like, these are the things that actually you need to focus on, and these are the other things you need to tune out.
1: I actually think that it was probably through your account that I learned about, like, this whole slow living movement and sort of slowing things down. And now I feel like I'm about to go and just do that with my creative, like, I'm just going to go and do whatever I want overseas. I mean, like... your, your life when you move to the UK <laughs> is so basically
0: different. going to be turned on its head. Yeah. The weather will be flipped. The seasons will literally be
1: flipped. You won't be working full time. I know it's gonna be. It's gonna be so. You'll have no friends. I'm just kidding. No, (laughs) we're still gonna be doing this, so I will still get to talk to you. Yes. I was gonna say have to, but I was like, that sounds really wrong. (laughs) I like talking to you. Thank um, you. But I think something that was quite interesting, a little bit when I was like, I was from the same situation in that like money was always not super scarce but not abundant growing up. Mm -hmm. And so something that's been hard for me going into this move has been the idea that I I thought, you know, I work with a company that's international. So I was like, maybe I can just get a transfer. And then I was like, but this isn't really – what this is for yeah like I I love what I'm I love being a journalist um because people know that's that's what I do but I, I'm not loving the situation I'm in at the moment and I think for me I needed to challenge myself to sit with the discomfort of not having a job for the first mm. time
0: that-
1: since I graduated because my parents were always like never leave a job unless you have a go- job to go to and don't you know don't make any yeah. silly financial decisions and now I'm like I'm just going to be creative and be freelance.
2: <laughs> yeah. Oh, and so, like a job yeah. is a label, isn't it? Like it, Ooh. it's a label that we can kind of trust about ourselves. Like I used to do such a like wholesome, fulfilling job, helping people <laughs> with disabilities learn to speak. Like it doesn't get much more rewarding than that. So at parties, like to be able to say, oh, I'm a journalist or I'm working speech therapy or whatever it is you, you do it gives you a really neat bundle to put yourself in and people can make lots yeah, of assumptions exactly. about you based on that, which when you take that title and that job away, you're kind of free floating. And that's before you throw in all of that financial uncertainty and all of the people who want to protect you. But so will undermine what you're trying to do as a way of trying to keep you safe. Yeah. Yeah, Absolutely.
1: Definitely. It's
0: so complex. I know because you so, and it's it's a funny thing to think about um you know, especially for a, a lot of people. I mean, Michelle and I included, you know, mm. we like Michelle says, Oh, I'm a journalist. I say, I'm a marketing officer. But then we struggle to say, I'm a podcaster mm. or I'm a blogger. It was a and... really
1: big challenge for me to change my Instagram bio to say and I know you've talked about this too, Sarah, with um the word photographer too. Because yeah, yeah. a lot of people look at that as oh, well, you just take photos on your iPhone. Does that yeah. make you a photo- – like, there's just just take- so I mean, much. We are
0: like, you just take photos of books on
1: a table. Like, <laughs> I know. I'm always like, oh, I mean, I'm okay with photography, but I mainly just photograph books, and, like, that's not hard. So. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> they don't move. <laughs> Smile. Although I have done sports photography, but then my excuses, I'm like, well, yeah, I have really good equipment, so, like, you don't really have to try. You just have to frame it right. Like, that's easy. Yeah. <laughs>
2: <laughs> it's, it's yeah. kind of finding a voice for imposter syndrome always isn't mm. it it's always a reason to say oh but I don't It doesn't really count what I'm doing doesn't really count
1: yeah yep, every single day absolutely <laughs> yeah definitely always having to fight against that and um there are definitely a lot of people like yourself included obviously and um Jen Carrington who you do letters from a hopeful creative with and a lot of people in this online space who Talk a lot openly about that, which hmm. I think is really, really great to see, and something I've definitely found comfort in. Being like, oh my gosh, I'm not alone. Yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah, that is really powerful to realize it's not just you. And I think, I mean, there's lots of research to back this up that it's an especially female problem that we don't claim our skills. And we don't like to say out loud that we think we're good at things. So men will generally, like if they're applying for a job, for example, I think they they will see the skills they do have and think that they're suitable for it. Whereas women look at the job description and see all the skills they don't have and don't bother applying.
1: Oh, I know. I hate that. <laughs> <laughs> we have frequent conversations about this. Yes, yes,
0: <laughs> yeah.
2: Yeah. And so that's like we, we don't just owe it to ourselves to kind of m- – fortify and get on that Instagram bio that we're a photographer or that we're a whatever it is we want to be but we kind of owe it to all the other people around us the other women who need need to see that it's okay to take up that space and that the sky doesn't fall and that you don't suddenly become unlikable or whatever the fear is yes
1: and also not just other women around us but um young girls like Ola to see that you know her mum is doing this that must be amazing to know
2: yeah so like with the the book launch we've done a series of events around the UK in bookstores and I really wanted all of us to be able to come with me so we took her out of school and she's like traveled around to all these events with me and actually she's ended up signing books for everybody she oh, just loved it so <laughs> she's it's like there so with awesome. her sharpie the one word she can write is her name so it's okay and um but like I just thought that to me was so powerful because I want her to grow up thinking that that's normal, that, like, you can do whatever you want to do and, you know, women write books and take up space and are creative and successful at the same time. And for her to see a room full of people that have come along to hear what I've got to say, like, I just – I hope that that's rewiring the things in her brain that we never grew up with and kind of that we've had to overcome as adults.
0: That's so wonderful. (laughs) I love that. I think it's yeah. especially cute that she's signing books. Yes. That's adorable. Um, that. <laughs> so then let's, you know, talk a bit more about your book, Hashtag Authentic. Um, was it a concept you pitched or did a publisher approach you? How did this come about?
2: It was sort of a combination. Um, mm-hmm. I think when you reach a certain level or kind of in social media followings, you start to attract book pitches from various publishers who just see the numbers next to your name and are like oh we should get her to write something for us so I was turning down various titles that just didn't feel like I was the right person to write them um, mm-hmm. but then a pitch came in for a very loose like an Instagram book and it felt like it had the scope for me to make it whatever I wanted it to be so I kind of went with that publisher I didn't take probably the more wise route of getting an agent and making a proposal and shopping it around and I think if I did it again I would do that Mm -hmm. but it was I, I identified right from the beginning that this was a learning experience for me like the first time you do anything you're kind of stumbling in the dark and I just needed to go with the people who I felt like were gonna hold my hand through that and help me create the thing I wanted to create so I feel like that's what we've done
1: well, that's almost all my story you can ask for, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, exactly. And that. it's a good way to get over that imposter syndrome and also any perfectionism as well, because like you said, just kind of got to do it and know that you'll learn from it.
2: Exactly. And I think if if I'd been waiting on the courage and the impetus to do all of those other steps to like go and meet with agents and write my own proposal and take all those rejections, I don't know if the book would be out in the world even now. Like I, I think we'd be a lot further back because – all well, of it's that. It's a
0: pretty long process. <laughs> yeah, it
2: takes time, it takes courage, it takes self belief. Um, so I feel like I kind of I found a, a little bit of a shortcut and no regrets really.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh that's wonderful to hear. Um, but I do I do think um it must have been hard to go from from blogging and writing for Instagram, even though you said obviously you had to start the blog because you had a lot of things to say in a lot of words more than you could have on Instagram. But it still must have been quite hard to switch to that long-form writing of an actual big manuscript. So what were some of the biggest challenges you faced when when writing hashtag authentic?
2: It was definitely challenging. I felt like it challenged me, like, daily. <laughs> daily it was like a struggle, like with a three-year-old, that kind of level of challenge of just, ah, I'm going to tear my hair out. And what was interesting is, like, I've written online courses that – probably in terms of word count very similar to the book maybe even slightly longer in the case of the insta retreat and they never really struggled with those they they flow out for me you know I can do this I can sit myself down and just get that done but when it came to writing the book, the big barrier in my head was that it, I wasn't going to be able to change it. So if I write an online course or write a blog post or an Instagram caption, you can always go and edit it. If the information changes or if, if you're misunderstood and things not getting across quite how you intended it or anything like that, you've always got the option to go back in, update, refresh, change, edit. You can't do that with a manuscript for a book. Like once it's done, it is done. It is in people's hands. And so I found a real perfectionist, procrastination kind of sinkhole in writing mm-hmm. it. That I, In the end, I just had to kind of force myself through um, and promise myself that I could edit it all later. And then, of course, once it's written, it doesn't need half as much of kind of that editing as you expect.
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's a really, a really common fear, um, although I imagine it's possibly a bit more of a fear with a book that's perhaps slightly more non-fiction.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: Because yeah. the information does have potential to change. But, I mean, yeah. I the thing that I always think of when, you know, people say this about, like, oh, God, you know, I, I can't – the best thing we've heard um, on that is actually when – at Brisbane Writers Festival when Veronica Roth said that Divergent is a reflection of her – at like 22 or 23 or whenever she wrote it and yeah so like she that's has her to,
2: then that's her then and what she writes now is her now yeah it's a snapshot isn't it it's a snapshot yeah. in time and space that you kind of put out to the world and so of course it ages and, and it it kind of needs to um mm. but it's I think it feels scary as well because we are in a time when you know we're all learning we're all evolving and a lot of the time like things that we said or did even 10 years ago seem incredibly dated and you know people have their old Mm. tweets dredged up on Twitter and some people have done an awful lot of growth in that time so there's always that fear of like I'm putting something out now but am I going to still stand by every word of this for the rest of my life but uh, like I say that I have not written an offensive book like I haven't put anything in there that I think I'm going to regret but (laughs) it's easy to kind of fall down that rabbit hole of, of worry I think.
1: Yeah, the funny thing is that if you're the sort of person who's worrying about that, your book is absolutely not offensive. And the people who (laughs) should be worried about that are not in the slightest.
2: Oh, that's so (laughs) true. They never are, are they? Yeah.
0: (laughs) And that's exactly the thing, is that perhaps now we are in a time where people are starting to think about that and they go like, oh, God, you know, you can try and be as, you know, as... (laughs) I guess, progressive or whatever the mm. right word would be. But potentially, you know, the world is still changing and evolving so quickly. So in the future, something could be different. But I saw something interesting on Twitter the other day that was about, do you think, you know, pre- you know classics or like these books from years ago or whatever should be edited and updated for mm. future readers? Mm. And I was like, oh, my God, and I was like, well, should they? And I thought about it for like a second, and then I was like,
1: No, we have to learn. Yeah, you have to look at yeah. that as a learning, as a learning yeah. tool, and, and update. You know what's funny? It's like, it's like anything. You know, like when you watch a movie
0: from ten years ago and you go, Oh, oh my, my god, I forgot about that or something. That seems yeah, so much like yeah. as much as you love friends, that has not aged well. Yeah, yeah. Not aged well. I it's mean, all of those, all of those listicles that say, yeah. you know. 20 things on friends that are hella problematic. I can usually explain away some of them by plot no, holes. I
1: no, by
0: plot holes I literally <laughs> don't understand what happened. But
1: still, yes, some things certainly have not. Yeah, no, some things are really bad in that. But it's still, like, still getting shown on TV and stuff. But, you know, it's mm-hmm. interesting you just said just then about, um, you know, people feel like it's not their story anymore once yeah. they've published it. Um, I think I've never felt that anxiety even though I publish a lot of things because usually it's not my story that I'm telling. And I know that's a strange aside, but, like, even this true crime podcast I'm working on, the only thing I'm nervous about is that the person whose story I'm telling, like, that I'm not going to do it justice, but I have no fear at all that what – yeah, it's my only nervousness is around – how people will respond to their story um, and whether they're okay with it. And there was literally a moment when um, the main person was listening to the thing and she's like, I'm listening to it now. And I was like, please don't tell me that because now I'll just think about it. <laughs> and then she was like, yep. So I love it. Don't change anything. And I was like, great. Cause I was going to scrap the entire project if you didn't like it. <laughs> yeah. Like, You know, God, imagine how you would feel if it was your story. Yeah. Imagine if you were a
0: fiction writer.
1: Oh my god. But you know that (laughs) nothing would ever get published. And like, I mean this is this is a thing I always say to people when I do a really difficult story too. And it's not it sounds really like woo-woo and weird, but um, you know, like it is an honour for me to tell their story.
0: Yeah.
1: Um, and that's how I go in and view it. But I don't know how I'd feel if it was like, you know, a memoir that I'd written. Like I think of all the memoir writers we've Mm. spoken to for this. And I, yeah, I can, I don't, I don't, I've just never thought of that. And I know that is totally off topic aside, but I just, I just thought I'd say it.
2: <laughs> it's an extra level of vulnerability, I suppose, isn't it? Like I, I've definitely felt with my book going out. It's like, if this gets rejected by the world, it's mm. kind of a rejection of me. Cause that's all yeah. of me in there. Like it's my pictures of right. my life, my story. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I know, And it's, And, you know, unfortunately one of those crazy things that's like, well, you know, there – I mean, unfortunately there are going – you know, there's always people out in the world who don't like you. Not everyone can get along. Of course. anyone who perhaps doesn't like your book, it's like, oh, no, does that mean you don't like me? Yeah. (laughs) Yeah.
1: And I think – I feel like that's probably especially the case for fiction because sometimes – you know, the, the fiction that someone's writes can be so removed from what, you know, they're like in person. It could definitely be but easy for friends to be like, oh, I didn't love your book. I
0: didn't love this one. Sorry, yeah. I'll read the next one. Yeah. Yeah. But in some cases, fiction can also be that, you know, that personal thing mm. that, you know, you can say, oh, yeah, my book's about this or whatever, and, you know, like with plenty of people, you, hide a lot of you know, especially in – you know, in YA books, that like, you know, they're all mm. written by adults mostly, and you know, they're about teenagers. And people go, "Oh, this has nothing to do with the author. <laughs> it's a story they've thought of." And I mean, that's almost never the case. Yeah. Like mm-hmm. all authors get their ideas from somewhere, and mm. they all have to be
1: a little bit personal, wouldn't yeah. they? Yeah.
2: Absolutely, or else it wouldn't connect. Yeah.
1: yeah. Anyway, sorry, we went off topic. That was a bit little of a bit. tangent, but I. Um, liked <laughs> <it>. <laughs> anyway, um, so. You know, something that we're always interested in talking about here um, is about the editing and like that behind-the-scenes process with book publication. So, how did how did you find that whole process? So, like you said, you had to get you know all your writing down and you could work on it later. Was there much that had to be done in in the edits?
2: <coughs> what was really sorry?
1: <clears throat> no, you're right.
2: <laughs> what was really challenging is obviously you only have so many page spreads in a book and I was given kind of rough word counts for like you know if you're going to write this chapter it's got two pages and about this many words is two pages but then within that we had pictures to slot in and the pictures are not formulaic in the sense that every page has got kind of a different way that we've arranged the pictures on the page some of the pictures Mm -hmm. were iPhone images which meant we had to use them quite small because they're not great resolution for printing um so We kind of had this every single chapter, every single section had this battle between like, okay, you need to add 300 words or you need to cut 300 words. And quite often I'd written it as succinctly as I could. So to cut 300 words, I had to cut points or to add 300 words. I was like, well, I'm just that would just be waffle. Like I haven't got another 300 (laughs) words on this topic. And then. To to communicate all of that, like people might imagine there's some lovely sophisticated system. It was literally just emails going on page sixty-three, there's like a box. Underneath the box, you need some more words. And I'd be like, Can we take out the second and and it was just painstaking. Oh,
1: that is a nightmare.
2: Yeah, yeah. But I even like right down to like a
1: better way to do that. I, <laughs> know. I I said I wish there was a better way to do that, but there's really not. I've had to work on publications like that and it's just it's it's you just get such long email chains. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then things get missed. The past
0: three days at work, and it's just over a two page newsletter. Like it's, <laughs> I can't imagine a book.
1: Oh
2: god. Yeah, and and also even things like so I'd see a spread and a picture wouldn't look quite right like color wise with the others. So I'd say, oh, can we swap it for this one? So then that email would get sent to the graphic designer, and the graphic designer would find time in her schedule to swap the picture. And then she'd send it back and I'd be like, oh, no, it looked better before. And so then I'd send (laughs) another email. And I just felt like the biggest pain in the bum to that whole team. But I'm also, I'm a perfectionist. I've got really high standards and it needed to be right. So, 100%.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Mm. So I
2: pushed and pushed and I think they probably slightly hated me at the time, but hopefully now (laughs) they see that it was worth it.
1: (laughs) Not at all. I mean, I guess that's the creative team's job as well is to, to work on those to work on those things. But yeah, it must have been so challenging to have that mix of photos and oh, I can't imagine. Cause yeah, every every line that you write makes such a difference. Like people don't really think about, you know, when they see a book, how incredibly like detailed that is. So it's yeah. like you have X amount of lines to fill and if you move one line then everything changes. It's yeah. just Yeah.
2: Yeah, yep, just getting it to finish.
1: is a nightmare.
2: Yeah, exactly. And because you don't write it straight in, you write it, it starts out just as a huge text document that someone's got to yeah. try and fit into this beautiful kind of layout of a book and getting every page to end at the end of a sentence with a full stop at the bottom <laughs> of the second page is, like, a
0: whole minefield. <laughs> um, yeah, how did like you... Number one pit peeve is when we're doing, like, mail-outs and stuff at work and you... You know, someone wants to edit one line, and I'm like, really? Because that will push the one person's name yes. onto the second page, and <laughs> oh, it's like I will not let that happen. Yeah. <laughs> Is this really necessary? Yeah,
1: oh, which again, yeah. it doesn't
2: happen with blog posts. It doesn't happen with e-books. <laughs> no, because
1: it just runs it's on. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I once had to call um had to call something back from the print site. Um, it was a really big like international event we were having. It was like 138 page like. What do you call it? The program. Like the program it was yeah. the oh, program. Yeah. And um, there were so many rounds of edits that had to be done for, like, all these different levels. Of... This was just for the introductions at the start, which was, like, the government introductions. And they, like done something the wrong way around so it bas- look it basically for the for the average person it said the same thing that their job title was but they were like no it has to be said exactly oh. this way and we had to oh. call it back from the printer after the plates had been made up and oh. change it all for the sake of like pleasing this one thing and I was just like oh please to like, like change it from like you know marketing officer officer of marketing basically, whatever. <laughs> yeah. basically and I was like no one really is gonna care that much like there's probably two people in the world who care that much and are they really even gonna see it I don't think they are but it was worth a lot of money so I had to do what I was told <laughs>
2: <laughs> like I, I think people don't realize how much of printing is still this archaic industry like it sort of lumbers yeah. along and and publishing too like I totally expected there to be some software interface where we could make all these changes in real time together. And it wouldn't be that hard for someone to build, but it doesn't exist. It's it's still very, like, a presumably in the days before email, people did this by phone or by letter. Can you imagine?
1: Yeah. Oh, my goodness. It I, take even longer than it does now. Well, I yeah. still, because I, I work at a daily newspaper, I still sometimes just sit and think, how did they get this thing out before they had computers? Like, yeah. I just don't, how did you, do it i just yeah. i'm amazed i'm amazed that they they did these things on the daily and then there are you know papers like some papers in capital cities where you'd have like a morning edition and an evening edition and it just yes. blows my mind I'm, I'm amazed we still get it out like it just and actually there's this magical moment where like if you're putting together an edition um you know, you'll tell everyone to get their stories done and then you'll put the templates on the pages that everyone will, like, drop their stories into and everything's looking quite great because we have, like, a colour system. Mm -hmm. So if you put a template on... And there's nothing in there. It'll be grey. And then when someone puts something in there but it's not finished, it'll be orange. And then when someone's checking it, it'll be blue and then it'll be green. And so there's this wonderful moment at like about 6 p.m. where you're like, nothing's going to get – like at about 3 p.m. it's all grey. And you're like, oh, my goodness, I'm not going to get this paper out. It's not going to happen. And then by about 6 p.m. you're just like, oh, it's so green and pretty. Like, oh, it's just all <laughs> going together. Ah, and you just feel like this high and you're like, oh, I think I'll do this again tomorrow. And that's basically the newspaper industry. <laughs> <laughs> it
2: sounds kind of stressful.
1: Yeah. It Look, after five years, I'm, I'm definitely ready to take a break. But it's definitely a different kind of industry. So I can't imagine um, the publishing industry either because it, it works on just as tight a deadline but on – much more extended scale yeah a much more extended scale um so you mentioned the images before and and getting the right one how did you pick the right images for the book uh
2: so I had kind of a short list because obviously it's it's got hundreds and hundreds of photos in it um, a lot of them were Mm -hmm. taken specifically for the book so I kind of had this this dreamy idea I just put them all into folders that corresponded to the topics of each chapter and then sent all this off to the publisher with the original manuscript and the graphic designer came back and I realized it looked just like a hot mess because... (laughs) The pictures were taken in different times, in different places, on different cameras. You know, the colours were different. Everything was different. They just didn't flow together. And anyone who's kind of an Instagram nerd will kind of understand this, that sometimes pictures just go together on your grid and it looks really cohesive and it flows beautifully. And then you'll put like a yellow picture on and it all goes to crap. And you're like, (laughs) the whole flow is wrong. The balance is wrong. You you feel like you've basically just ruined Instagram (laughs) with your single post. And it it's was kind of working. like that on an epic scale. So I had to take all the images back out, print off every single one as like a little thumbnail. This is how like analog it got. And I had my, this huge table that I have in my workroom was just spread out with all of these tiny images. And I went back and actually grouped them by things like color, by tones, by subject, and then arranged them so that they looked aesthetically pleasing as well as being linked to the subject of the page so it was kind of trying to find that balance and there were pictures that I really wanted to include because they referenced the text really well but they just didn't work with the other images for the page so they had to be pulled yeah Yeah, which now I look at it I have no regrets but at the time I found that to be such a painful process because there were pictures I'd taken specifically for specific things that I was really attached to um Mm -hmm. And some some of them made it in in other places and some of them didn't. And there was a hilarious point where I had all my groups of images on the table. And each one was like a post-it, like named each group of these tiny little squares of pictures, Um, hundreds of them on my table. And I had my birds out and one of my budgies, Jack, came and landed on the table. And I was like, oh, this is so cute. Snapped a little picture of him, like looking at the pictures. Then he flew away and the updraft from his wings completely scattered like all of the pictures of oh, this, no. everywhere no. and I've lost the whole thing and had to start again oh no <laughs> Okay, but
1: that's... you got a cute photo out of it so
2: that's yeah good. I got a cute photo so all was not lost <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah a cute photo good but,
1: yeah.
0: that sounds like a really annoying thing because but what I was going to say before is that playing with all of these pictures on your table sounds like you know, all those memes about like social media in real life. And it used to be like people writing on walls and yes. things like this. This is like Instagram <laughs> in real life. Yeah.
2: Yeah. It's the equivalent of taking a picture of your coffee and taking it to your friends and going, do you like my coffee? <laughs> <laughs> Look
1: yeah. At my coffee. Look at how amazing this is. Look at where my hand placement is. Yeah. This took me 10
2: <laughs> this was that on a bigger scale me going how do I make my life coordinate (laughs) yes I know
0: actually maybe it's more like pinterest in real life yeah maybe yeah Yeah. I mean maybe
2: it's like yeah Mm. I I never made photo albums in the kind of old school way but maybe it's a bit like that I guess you had to do a bit of that yeah or scrapbooking
0: yeah I mean all of my family photo albums were just chronological order
1: so I don't know how <laughs> by color and you know oh, all these
0: things photos. yeah it's so
1: funny though because like I I've complained about this to Caitlin because there's very few people I can talk to this about because it's such a niche problem um but I don't theme my Instagram and I deliberately don't but then sometimes somehow even though I've taken all these photos I, I have a mix of photos I take in the moment and photos I plan for and take you know weeks in advance, and somehow I still end up getting, like, this colour scheme that runs throughout yeah. them. she so like, like, nine or ten just, yeah, like, pink, pink, pops of pink somewhere, and then there'll be, like, yellow. A yellow week, and then a blue couple days. And, and honestly, like, I'm just like, I am not trying. I am not trying to do this. What the hell? And people work so hard on Instagram <laughs> themes, and Michelle just does it by accident. I couldn't, but if I tried, I could not do it. No. I couldn't. Um, so yeah, that's my. my <laughs> um, so I guess you know you have built this whole business online, um, and you've really created this life online through social media. But did you still feel something really special about you know holding your book for the first time?
2: I really did, and and. That was one of the reasons I didn't want to self-publish because I probably could have made more money if I'd self-published it. Like, it's a speculative thing, but I suspect I would have been able to. But I really wanted that moment of being able to walk into a proper bookshop and just see my book on a shelf, <laughs> take it down, hold it, and feel legitimized by it. And um, one of the things, like, my friends, whenever they go into a branch of Waterstones, which is one of the major book chains over here, um, at the moment, is quite often... One of the ones they pull out and put on the shelf, and they write little uh, handwritten notes about what the books are about that they're recommending. So my friends are sending me photos from all over the country of that, and it just feels magical, like a dream come true. I love
1: that so much.
0: I mean, I particularly love that because I love seeing those notes in bookshops about, like, yes. you know, what what are the staff reading? Yeah. and all these things, yeah. and seeing those. I mean, they're almost mini reviews to encourage people Mm. to buy the books but seeing those about your book must be pretty special
2: it really is it makes me it makes it feel real because it's one of these things where a lot of the time it doesn't and it's very easy to be like oh yeah but my book doesn't count like it's not like this book (laughs) but then it's hard to argue when you see those things you're like oh yeah no this is real and in fact when on the very first uh launch event when we'd been doing the signings afterwards, Ola was like, will you take me and show me where it is on the shelf? She's six. And we yeah. went over to the photography section and actually they'd sold all the copies or they had all the copies out to sell and sign. So I had to bring my copy and sneak it onto the shelf when she wasn't looking. And I was like, look, here it is.
1: <laughs> it, it
2: mattered to her as well. I think she needed to see that it was legit and real as well.
1: Yeah, So cute. Oh my God. <laughs> She should take it in for show-and-tell at school. That would be so cute.
2: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> she, why hasn't she done that? Oh, my God. I'm going tell her. She support me more.
1: <laughs> oh it's a captive God. audience. Yeah. That's really cute. And you know what the And first... she's in the title. Like, she's such a part of your, your story as well.
2: Exactly. Well, that was her justification for signing. She was like, my name's on the front, so. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, my God.
0: I love that so much. But when you just said take her in for show-and-tell. The first thing I just had like this flashback to when I was. Did you say she was six years old? Yeah. Yeah. When I was six years old, my mum had my younger brother, and I brought Harry in for show and tell. <laughs> <laughs> it's a bit different, but I was like, wow, it's still cool. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> I think a, I think a book is so much cooler than a brother. Just saying. Oh, like, it's because you don't
0: have any siblings. I know it's because
1: I have any siblings. <laughs> <laughs> Books were my siblings growing up. <laughs>
2: Think books are less trouble than siblings oh. yes,
1: I mean, maybe. <laughs> I mean yeah. from what I've seen in my extensive experience yes <laughs> um actually that I mean this is a this is just a slight diversion um because we haven't already done enough of those were you a, were you always a, a big reader or you know into books when you were growing up yes
2: yeah obsessively so um, that's
1: what
2: we like to hear yeah <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, like all, books have always been kind of a bit of an addiction for me and it's kind of sad that I don't read paper books as much anymore or at the moment as I used to because I guess because of the internet and smartphones yeah. and everything else um, but yeah I mean like from the time I could read I was constantly just churning through books at a rate that like my teachers couldn't keep up with
1: <laughs> yes that's
0: that's us as well
1: yeah why we do this we love it I,
0: know. I just I just love hearing that so you do live with a chronic illness um can you please tell us a little bit about that and how it's influenced your creative life and your business
2: sure so it's called dysautonomia which no one has ever heard of but it's actually surprisingly common it's more common than Parkinson's so um a lot of people have got it and are living with it and they think it's probably massively underdiagnosed as well because not many people have heard of it. Like mm-hmm. it's really, it's relatively new in the sense that um, it was only really recognized in the nineties. So a lot of medical professionals. Yeah,
0: it's really
2: recent. Yeah. When they were training, it didn't exist on like the curriculum. So that's kind of why there's this gap in diagnoses. And basically it means your autonomic nervous system is on the fritz. So autonomic, similar to automatic it's everything that your body does without thinking like blood pressure heart rate temperature regulation digestion breathing all those kind of things Um, just go haywire so it sounds kind of mild but it can be really severe so for, for me one of the big symptoms is as soon as I stand up all the blood in my body starts rushing down to my feet and my body doesn't really know how to get it back up to my head Uh, so the longer I stand up for the more likely I am to faint or pass out and the harder it is to kind of just think straight because there's no blood in my brain and that applies even if I'm sitting it's more slow when I'm sitting but it's still an issue Um, and it's unpredictable so some days are okay and some days are not so great because it's a neurological issue and that's kind of how those things go so it's really really difficult to plan around it's difficult to work around and for a long time I knew I had all these symptoms, but didn't have a name for it or a diagnosis. So just assumed I was weak and feeble and lazy, thought maybe I needed to exercise more, but exercise is actually one of the worst things you can do for it. Um, you know, everyone is like, Oh, so, you know, do yoga or drink eight pints kind of water, and I tried so many things that never got me anywhere before. You know, I-
1: cucumber
2: juice. Uh, mm. Yeah, exactly. Cucumber yeah. juice is the answer and just get eight hours of sleep a night um Mm. so back when I was working for the NHS like it got to a point where in between my home visit appointments where I would go and see patients I would find quiet corners of the road to pull over in my car and tip my seat back to sleep um and I was doing that like four or five times a day hope my ex-managers are not listening um and and so kind of but Built my business at the same time on the side and was really fortunate then to be able to leave my job. And I'd always said like my dream was to have a job I could do from bed. And now I understand like that makes sense because when I'm in bed, I'm lying down and actually like I'm functioning at my best because all my blood is still reaching my brain. (laughs) And now I really have a job I can I can pretty much do from bed. So I've structured everything I do to be able to do it from my phone if need be. Um, I edit my photos on my phone, I, all my social media is obviously accessed by my phone and kind of a lot of my social life is online too because sometimes going out and actually like seeing people face-to-face is too difficult. Mm.
1: That's great though that you can build a life that you can still live, you know, as you want to um, just from your bed.
2: Exactly and and mm-hmm. I actually think like my... my my health has kind of progressed to a point now where I don't think I could work kind of a conventional job um so I'd probably be on disability benefits right now like if I if I hadn't built this business so it's kind of amazing to to me to see that it's not me that's the problem like it's really helped me heal my relationship with my body I think to have this business because we so often assume that if we're not able to access conventional work, then it means that we're not productive or we're not like a useful member of society. And you'll see people say this about people on disability benefits a lot in the right wing press, will not you, like scroungers and spongers. And actually, like, I am proof that the problem is the system doesn't mm-hmm. work around the different levels of ability that we all have and actually if you can build a job that works with your abilities and your disabilities you can be absolutely as productive as lucrative as everything else as everybody else it's just that we have a really ableist society that says unless you can work nine to five sitting up at a desk then you're not you don't count yeah
1: absolutely wow well, yeah oh, perfect you just put that so perfectly yeah. <laughs> Um, um, yeah, and I think, you know, we've had um, one of our favourite, previous I can say favourite, can't I? Yes, yeah, she's one of our favourite. <laughs> um, previous guests, um, Carly Finlay, on and, um, you know, talking about ableism and how so much of society is structured in that way um, when, yeah, really it's trying to make people fit into this society when mm-hmm. really there's a lot that society can do to accommodate everyone. And like you said, it is ableist. It is, and we just don't we've not acknowledged that or recognize that. Um, And I think it's slowly starting to change, but very slowly.
2: Really slowly. I mean, it took living it for me to acknowledge it. So, Mm. you know, I'm not super woke here because it's only (laughs) my own experience that I kind of was like, oh, shit. Oh, no, 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 I get it. Um, But and and even like when I started my business, I still really fought against it. So I tried so hard to have this like roadshow of workshops and do all these live events. And actually they were so hard for me with my health. They were the worst thing I could be doing, but it, it, I fought against kind of leaning into this fact that, okay, my business needs to look like this. These are my strengths and these are the weaknesses. And the narrative that we so often are kind of raised with is push harder against your weaknesses, like overcome your weaknesses. But for me, it was like going, oh no, actually I need to just lean into my strengths. Like if those are areas where I'm not that strong, just leave those and go onto the areas where I can really excel and that was when my business really transformed and kind of my income transformed and everything started to make sense for me
0: yeah I love that I think that's such a human thing that all of us you know we focus on the things we're bad at and trying to improve them when mm. sometimes it's like ugh, can't you just be bad at that and just focus on the things that you're good at
1: yeah exactly. because the things that you're good at a hundred thousand other people are terrible at and, you know, I feel that- like there's, there's a lot of, um, I guess, pressure on, I think, millennial women in particular to have this hustle yeah. to be working. I am so guilty of it. I think, I think it was actually you, Sarah, who said um, once this whole time optimism thing. Yeah. Caitlin, you know, I am a chronic time optimist. Even the fact that we thought we could do this interview the other night and – Prepare for the other thing that we had to do. <laughs> yeah. We were like, "Yeah, it'll be fine," and I was like, "Yeah, I'll cook a fresh dinner as well." And like, it'll be fine, and we'll still get eight hours of sleep, and it'll be okay. great. <laughs> you know, like I'm, I'm only like I'm only just now starting to even acknowledge that I might have, you know. So I, I have IBS. And I do know that. And I do know I have not done enough to help it. And it, it makes mm. regular like, I need to do more to help my body. And right now I'm in a holding pattern because I'm like, I will sort it out when I've moved because there's just too much <laughs> going on. There's too much going on right this second. But, so you both know and you don't. Yes. Yeah. I know that I need to do something. I know it's really starting to impact my daily life. And I know I really need to massively overhaul my diet. But right now I'm just focused on how I can get through the next five weeks until I move overseas which is bad but that's because also for a long time like exactly what you said Sarah you think it's your own body that's the fault you're you're weak mm-hmm. you're not doing enough not you normal. should be better you're not normal you need to get better um when in actual fact I need to stop and listen to my body and I'm only starting yeah. to to learn that I need to listen to my body because I've let myself go to the point of exhaustion so many times
2: mm-hmm. um yeah because yeah, no one gives I, you permission no one ever says yes. like that's important that's you have to do this but people mm-hmm. will tell you you have to do meet this deadline and you have to do this other thing yes I
1: know. yes and also you should be posting on instagram every single day and you should have this many followers and what are and you doing about twitter you jobs, should be doing that yeah. of friendships yeah. and a successful relationship and a cute dog and and, side and, and don't eat avocado it. toast because millennials can't buy houses oh my God. <laughs> and also we've got to save the planet so what are you doing about that it's Gosh. just it's a lot yeah. <laughs> it's a lot um my
0: main thing I hate all of that is motivation
1: yeah but like
0: oh yeah you know oh I'm so unmotivated and it's like no you're not you just don't want to do something yeah
1: no. I, have, I get like I get hangover um, motivation right now. I'm so sick of it. I get like procrastinating stress. Like when I'm really stressed, I procrastinate more because it's just like it's happening with this move right now. I can tell it, Jack's Like we should pack some stuff, and I'm like, mm, no, there's just too much. Like I just mm-hmm. and I just get paralyzed by the amount of stuff I have to do, so I just yep. don't do anything. Totally, yeah, me yeah. a Really bad one. Yeah, I do that too. <laughs> um, but. With, with your online life, Sarah, you've built this community and, you know, you've talked in a lot of different podcasts and stuff like that about how you've created an online community because you are open and authentic. Um, so can you kind of put into words how you feel about your community and how you think that, you know, other creators can nurture their own communities as well?
2: I guess one of the biggest lessons that kind of growing this audience online for me has taught me is that the more myself I can be, the more naturally it all comes, the more kind of natural the growth comes, the more naturally the connection comes. And there's so much noise online and and so much noise beyond the internet that teaches us not to be ourselves. I almost feel like I, I look at Ola and she is so fully inhabiting exactly who she is without question every single day but something happens as we grow up and we lose that I and mean, I think by the time you're a teenager yeah. you're just layers and layers of trying to fit in and trying to please trying to kind of hide the things that you don't think belong yeah. and
0: and being what re- the world tells you yeah. you think you should be And
2: exactly and the internet <laughs> compounds that because it's like you know you're like oh well my life should look like everyone else's Instagram does and that I need to be drinking these coffees because everyone else is drinking them right now and wearing these outfits and taking these pictures and what makes that worse is that it can can in the short term work like if you found a successful account and carbon copied everything they were doing you would grow an audience but it wouldn't be your audience and so I've seen so many people kind of go down this rabbit hole of if you're not comfortable fully being yourself trying to be somebody else online and ending up kind of with these huge shoes that you've got to fill that are never going to fit you and it's the worst place to be in because you've kind of built something that that doesn't want you to be who you really are so I'm so so passionate about. This is a very long-winded way of explaining it, but I'm so so passionate about just being our flawed, messy, human, vulnerable selves online, sharing the whole stuff. That doesn't mean you have to like share pictures of cat sick and dirty nappies if you don't want to, but like <laughs> sharing the full story because then you connect with people who who accept you for exactly who you really are, and that is so so powerful. It's powerful. It's healing. It means that you're forming really solid, like lifelong relationships with people. And it also means you're building something that's going to last because they're people who are there for you exactly as you really are and want whatever it is you're going to be putting out. And you're not going to feel like you're pigeonholed into just being one thing or trying to be what everyone else wants you to be. Again,
0: that (laughs) works so so perfectly. Well, then with that, you know, wonderful, perfect statement. Um, Have you got one last piece of advice our listeners can take away and add a little bit of that hashtag authentic magic to their own creative lives and ventures?
2: Hmm. I know you asked me this. You said you were going to ask me this at the beginning and I've already (laughs) I'm still struggling.
0: We've had a a few tangents and things like that, (laughs) so I don't blame you for not feeling as prepared as we hoped
2: you would <laughs> um what is my best tip let me think um I guess for me what it comes down to is trying to get into the headspace of what would you create if you couldn't see the numbers so whether that's your tweeting or you're putting stuff out on Instagram or you're you know posting to your blog what do you want to create so badly that you would do it regardless and also if the numbers weren't there to validate you, like what would it be that you were choosing to put out into the world? Because I think the numbers can distract us and they can take us off on the wrong path. Mm -hmm. You're like, Oh, well, these pictures do best on Instagram. So I need to just be taking these pictures, but maybe the pictures you really want to be taking are something else. So checking in on that as regularly as you can and thinking actually like, what do I want to create regardless of what the rest of the world thinks is the path to finding the really good stuff.
1: Yeah. I, that. I think that's fantastic advice. And it always sort of um I've heard you talk about this before I think on letters um from a hopeful creative saying, you know, what would you do if um suddenly you woke up and you know there were no follower numbers on Instagram like what would that what would that look like? Yeah. And that always freaks me out like oh my god what <laughs> would we do? Like it would be so different online if we weren't chasing this following hmm. or chasing what we think People you know, would like, like if
0: if you were still you know following all your friends and these wonderful people, but there were no follower accounts, no like counts, no engagement mm-hmm. mm. rates. Like we would just enjoy the content.
2: That's yeah. kind of how like it was right to. at the beginning. That's <laughs> yeah, what Instagram was like to. at the start.
0: I know. Ooh, like yeah. remember when Instagram first launched, and you'd be like, "Ooh, eleven likes." because <laughs> <laughs> that's when it changed from filter. names to numbers. Yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah and like a weird filter that you're gonna which filter will with i the use vignette? today <laughs> with a vignette yeah Yeah, the
2: yellow filters that we all just loved
0: <laughs> yeah oh my god even on my personal instagram those are all archived
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah no I archived on my- mine <laughs> is still
2: there <laughs> if anyone has the patience <laughs> really? to scroll back far enough they're there
1: I love that about um, Sarah um, Sarah Taviani, who we've interviewed as well, mm. um, at commas and ampersands. She's kept all of hers as well to kind of show the evolution of, of her feed, yeah. which I love. Um, so thank you for being so authentic online. Thank you for creating such a wonderful space. Um, where can people find you online if they're not already following you? I think it's pretty self-explanatory for most people, but, give them the handles anyway (laughs) um me and
2: orla and orla is spelled o-r-l-a so that's on instagram on twitter that's my website etc and my book and my podcast are called hashtag authentic and that's the word hashtag not the symbol I kind of you know I wish now I'd called it something else because I'm forever having to explain (laughs) (laughs) that's
1: all right it works it works again it happens to all of us yeah
2: yeah
1: thank you so much for joining us we really, really appreciate
2: it me. this has been so much fun yeah
1: thank you thank you for enjoying our little tangents as well yeah though. we
2: have a few then. it's good I feel like we've just had coffee like this is yeah. lovely I feel like I know you guys
1: <laughs> well we do like to be as authentic as possible on this podcast we try, yeah. <laughs> thanks for listening to this week's episode of better words if you enjoyed it We'd love it if you left a rating or review on iTunes. It really would mean the world to us.
0: And you can also find us at our website, betterwordspodcast.com, and on social media at Better Words Pod on Facebook, Instagram and Twitter. Bye! Bye!